You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Final hour on this Meat Friday. Oh, man, it looks good out there. We cooked chili on the Traeger, and we have chili dogs coming up in about 40 minutes or so. I've already said I got two. I'm taking two chili dogs today. I'm going to splurge a little bit. Just saw this from Carl Ravitch from the Mothership. Sources tell me baseball counter proposal today will move towards a season of roughly 70-plus games with a salary percentage on the 80 to 85% of pro rate. Uh, playoff pool bonus. My concerns are recent spikes in uh, COVID-19. Worst case scenario will be a start-stop. Will players move? That's uh, Carl Ravitch from ESPN. All right, great. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what... I keep telling you these proposals, but that's all they are. They're proposals. 70, 75, 80, 85. Just play. How about we just get back and play? Come on, let's go. And then we can figure this out because if you're going to force these players to come back, that next negotiating session with the owners and the players after next season is not going to be pretty. Yes, Todd. You come back with 80 games, 92%. What's the next move for the Well, players? it doesn't feel like, it feels like, well, they gave us a proposal, counter-proposal. Now we have to counter their counter-proposal with our counter-counter-proposal. And then here we go, back and forth. Here we go. Playing a game of... Negotiating ping pong. Yes, McLovin. We're throwing around the word pro rata like we know what it means, by the way. Reporters I just said are... pro rate. I, did, I thought Carl maybe had a misspelled pro rate. No, it's in all the stories. And it's like handicap, like we were talking about earlier. It's one of those words you use. It sort of sounds like something. I guess it means like, you get, yeah, prorated. Oh, is that okay? It's like a, a noun. I am not sure. Prorated. Why don't they just spell it pro P-R-O-R-A-T-E-D, prorated. This says, this says pro-rata share is the amount due to each shareholder calculated by simply dividing the ownership of each person by the total number of shares and then multiplying it by the resulting fraction in the total amount of the dividend payment. What? Excuse me. <laughs> Doesn't this sum up baseball right now? It's just, it, it, they're speaking a language that we the fans cannot understand. We can't. A couple of phone calls in here. The uh, very popular, talented Judd Apatow will join us. He gave us Bridesmaids. I watched Bridesmaids again last night. A little bit of it. That uh, Some funny stuff in there. Funny stuff. And uh, Judd did that. 40-year-old virgin. I want to know if that was the only take they did with Steve Carell when he gets his chest waxed. I was told that he, that was a one and done for Steve Carell, and he basically wanted to give you the honest reaction to having his chest waxed. Has anybody had their chest waxed before in this room? Paulie? I, I have not, but I worked with uh, NASCAR driver Tony Stewart, and we did a charity thing on his uh, old radio show, and it came off as like a joke one time, and then I think maybe Kevin Harvick called in and said, I'll give ten grand to charity if Tony Harvick waxes his chest and back, and he was hairy, like Robin Williams hairy. And he did it on a national radio show. I think we raised $120,000 in one night. And it was unbelievable. Tony was like, he looked like he was going to pass out. Uh, 
Fritzy, when you were bodybuilding, did you wax? I didn't. I would shave a little bit with like a regular razor. I didn't go like to a place or do a whole shave. I would shave like my arms and chest once in a while if it started getting a little too fluffy. And I liked the way it looked, obviously, when I actually had some uh, some muscular structure to me to get some of the hair off. McLovin? I haven't waxed up there. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no I haven't ever. Oh, waxed. Oh. oh, your eyebrows, you mean. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's on me. That Blame it on me because I should have just mentioned that and then moved on with it. Didn't need to uh, open it up to uh, the group. Uh, Pete Carroll said yesterday at a press conference that he uh, regrets not signing Colin Kaepernick years ago. And I, I have a couple of questions here. I don't know why. I don't know if he really gave a reason why he didn't sign Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick, I don't even think worked out like physically did a workout for the uh, Seahawks when he went there. But Pete Carroll said yesterday an NFL, I believe, coach called him about Colin Kaepernick. And I started to think, why would a coach call Pete Carroll about Colin Kaepernick? Because if he didn't work out, he didn't do a pro day for you, and he wasn't there, he was there half a day, why would I talk... Why would I call Pete Carroll and not Jim Harbaugh? Feels like that would be the first place I'd go. If I want to find out about Colin Kaepernick, how about I talk to Jim Harbaugh? Not Pete Carroll. I, I don't know what Pete knows about Colin Kaepernick other than they didn't bring him in. But Pete Carroll said that he regrets not bringing in Colin Kaepernick. I don't know if he gets a job. He should get a job if he can improve your team. If it's a football move, then he should get a job. Or at least the opportunity. I don't want him brought in because we feel like, hey, let's play nice, or that makes something go away, or whatever it is. But I, I do think that if he gets an opportunity in today's NFL, with his style, he was ahead of his time, that he could be, I'd bring him in as a backup. And if I'm Colin Kaepernick, I would want to be a backup. If I have to, if I get back into the league, I can be a backup. Now I can prove to people, hey, I'm a professional. I'm going to go out there. All anybody is going to care about with Colin Kaepernick is, as a backup, are you going to protest? How are you going to protest? Is this going to be every press conference, every, every city you go into? Do you do a conference call? You don't want your backup quarterback to be the most talked about player on your team. You're trying to manage this because you have to run a business. Tim Tebow is not in the league. And part of that is he was a very popular backup quarterback and overcovered. Now, maybe if he's a tight end or an H-back, then maybe he would, he'd still be in the NFL. But you can't have your quarterback. It's like Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel would never be a backup quarterback. Couldn't have him as a backup quarterback. Not possible. Certain personalities. Cam Newton, I don't see as a backup quarterback. And Colin Kaepernick, I can see him saying, I'll show you. I can be a backup quarterback. I can do all the things you want a backup quarterback to do. I can get the starter ready. And it gives you one year in the league. And then teams will look at this and say, hey, we know he can play. If we take away the political aspect of this, then we can bring him in. But that's why these owners aren't saying anything about a lot of this. They're nervous. They care about the fans more than they do their own players. Because players come and go. The fans, they stay with you for generations. 
And that's why you have some of these owners. Jerry Jones hasn't even done his radio show in months. He always has something to say about everything, even if it's not his team. He hasn't said anything. A lot of these owners haven't said much because they don't know what the political landscape is going to be in September. That's why I brought it up last hour. Will we get to a point where the players who have been at the forefront of this say, now we have a new stage. Now we take this to a different level. Now we do something different when it comes to the game itself. Maybe we don't kneel because that was just back in 2016 to bring the cause to light. Now the cause is in the bright lights. And that's what I wonder about three months from now. Where are we with this? With where players are with their activism? Where are we with the owners? Where are we with fans? Where are we with Colin Kaepernick? Three months is an eternity right now when you think about where we were three months ago with the pandemic and where we are right now. All right, we'll get to phone calls here. Uh, Judd Up Apatow will join us uh, coming up a little bit. Uh, Chris Mad Dog Russo joined us in the first hour. It was great to talk to Chris. He's a legend in the business. And when you think of sports talk radio, they did a 30 for 30 on Mike and the Mad Dog. That's how big these guys were for a few decades in uh, New York City. So it was nice to have Chris in. They sort of invented the whole concept of sports talk radio when you have a, a tandem there. Uh, and those guys did it at a very high level for a long time. Patrick in Denver joins us. Hi, Patrick. What do you have for me today? Hey, Dan. First, I wanted to thank you for your comments on the Confederate flag and the kneeling protest this week. Um, but this week, a sports analyst said that it's possible there's zero racism in sports today. Yesterday, he said Colin Kaepernick hasn't been in the NFL due to a lack of talent. Last year, he said Colin Kaepernick wasn't in the NFL because he doesn't understand X's and O's. If you don't know who I'm talking about by now, I'm talking about Doug Gottlieb. He also has controversial stances on praising Donald Trump during the anthem protest to begin with, Vic Fangio, Adrian Beltre, the Rich Paul rule, Drew Brees' comments, Lamar Jackson's draft profile, Trubisky over Watson and Mahomes. When talking about George Floyd this week, he made it sound like a rogue incident citing the officer's filed complaints. He has no journalistic integrity, or it's something worse. He doesn't deserve to be a guest on your show with true integrity to be along with you and the Danettes. But I do have a follow-up question. You mentioned during the Doug Williams interview um, about how racism in the NFL today is more covert. Um, do you mean that's like more like a top-down effect from the owner or a decision to organizationally appease the fans? Thanks well, for I, you guys. Thank you, Patrick. And look, I, I'm not here to, you know, Promote Doug or defend Doug. I'd have to hear the concept. And you know what? Call Doug's show. Those are, if those are his opinions, then those, you know, those are opinions I don't agree with, but those are his opinions. I mean, I'd have to hear it in context. Um, what's the other part of this? Oh, the covert part of this. You know, I, I, I just think that these businessmen are running a business here. And I think that when you look at uh, the covert racism, racism that's there, you start with the assistant coaches. How many get to become a head coach? How many get to become a GM? A league that's over 60% African-American, but how many jobs do we have for African-Americans in, in coaching and being a head coach? So it feels like it's a little bit more covert. Doug Williams, we had him on, and Doug was talking about it was overt. Like he had people that somebody sent him a piece of watermelon in a box. People were sending him letters. Uh, he said a woman was holding uh, a stuffed animal on, a, on a, a string as if to to hang Doug Williams. 
This is a guy who led Tampa Bay to the playoffs, and they went to the NFC title game, an awful franchise. The laughing stock of the NFL was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And here's Doug Williams, and you know these fans still didn't want a black head coach or black quarterback. And now we have – when I was growing up, it was – you know, blacks aren't smart enough to be the head coach or uh, be uh, the quarterback. That was that was what people would say. They were overt about it. They didn't hide it. They just didn't think they had the mental capacity to play quarterback in the NFL. And that's why you had a lot of these quarterbacks who were great in college went to the CFL because they got a chance or the AFL or they changed positions. It was more overt back then. Now it's more covert. But I, I don't speak on Doug Gottlieb's behalf. His beliefs, uh, whatever his takes are, that's not part of my job. Uh, Ted in Tampa joins us. Hey, Ted. Yeah, hey, Dan, I got two points. Uh, again, it's all about the O-line. Doug Williams, Trent Dilfer, <laughs> Young had terrible, terrible O-lines here in Tampa. Went to other teams that all won Super Bowls. Uh, second point is you got to buy the book No Ordinary Dog. It's about the Belgian Malinois that went in on the Bin Laden race. And uh, you'll absolutely love it. It's a tremendous book written by a Navy SEAL. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ted. we got to get an offensive line. If Tampa has a good offensive line, I won't hear from Ted this year. But if they have a bad offensive line, I'm going to hear from Ted probably week in and week out. Yes, McLovin. Did you see there was helicopter footage? I mean, it's amazing. Brady. Brady. Yeah, they got him going. Uh, He's whipping that team into shape. Yeah, he has a workout. And this is what, remember when Favre went to Minnesota and you had the helicopter, <laughs> the SUV? <laughs> it, was, it was right out of a movie. You know, I think Morgan Freeman started in that movie or something. But it always, here's all the like seven SUVs, helicopters coming by. And, and that was for uh, Favre when he went to Minnesota. But yeah, Brady, they had a helicopter flying over while he's, uh, he's doing his workouts there. Uh, Live sports this weekend, had golf yesterday, we got soccer, uh, boxing, all right, I'm good. You know, we keep talking about the new normal. If this is now normal, like we keep talking, oh, now it's the new normal, what we were going through. When do we get to what is normal? And I don't know if it's sort of a hybrid here, and maybe I'm asking too much to say, well, is this what it's going to be like? Or what's three months down the road going to be like? And I brought this up in the the first hour because I think the NBA, while they mean well to get everybody in Orlando, in three months from now, two and a half months from now, could we have the Eastern Conference and Western Conference finals in those two cities in the Eastern Conference and in the Western Conference? Because... I don't need to have everybody under a bubble for three months there. I don't know if you're safer in the bubble or outside the bubble. But let's say the Bucks played Toronto in the Eastern Conference Finals. You go Toronto to Milwaukee, you get quarantined, and uh, you're on a private plane. And let's say it's the Lakers against the Rockets. Back and forth, private plane, quarantine. And it feels like then you're acknowledging and rewarding the teams with a home court advantage, a true home court advantage. Because I think we're going to be looking and feeling different in about two months here. And that's why I don't need all the games in Orlando. I don't need all those teams there. I like how they're practicing safety, but then why don't we send six more teams to Orlando? That doesn't make any sense. 
They're trying to make up the money is what they're trying to do. I said, let's have 10, five, you know, 10 teams, five in each. You know, you want to have 16? Okay, but you can't tell me you're worried about safety when we invite six more teams. I know they're not there for the long haul, but then if you got a play-in, remember? There's a possibility of play-in games. I'm just one little voice here. One little voice. All right, uh, more phone calls coming up. What's the poll question, McLevin? Oh, I went with, would you rather win five non-majors or one major? It's a runaway. It's 83% say the major now. Hmm. I'm being reminded that, remember after the Eagles signed Michael Vick, he was the backup for Donovan McNabb. The Eagles traded away McNabb, and then they had Kevin Cobb as the starter. Vick again is the backup. Cobb got hurt. That was week one. And uh, Too soon. Sorry about that. Vick became the starter, had a great season. He needed a couple ways to break in as the starter. You know, even when McNabb went, Cobb got the job, then Cobb got hurt, then Michael Vick got a chance. Maybe that's what, you know, Colin Kaepernick will have to deal with. That will be pretty much the scenario. Somebody will have to get hurt for him to get an opportunity to play. If he's brought in. All right, we'll take a break. Judd Apatow is a new movie. It's based off of Pete Davidson, Saturday Night Live stand-up comedian, and it's called The King of Staten Island. We'll talk to Judd about that, but also some of the great movies that he has uh, written for, produced, directed, and more of your phone calls as well. Back after this on The Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to The Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for The Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Dan Patrick Show brought to you by Mercedes-AMG. Be prepared for whatever comes your way, the all-new GT four-door coupe, because life is a race. Visit your local dealership for a test drive today. If you missed any of our interviews from the Mercedes-AMG Man Cave, go to the Dan Patrick Show app. Watch and listen. Inside the Mercedes-AMG Man Cave, Mercedes-AMG, driving performance. Got a chance to speak to Judd Apatow. This was Wednesday after the show. We taped an interview. He's got a new movie. It's uh, on-demand Starting today, and it stars Pete Davidson, Marissa Tomei, and the great comedian Bill Burr. It's called The King of Staten Island. And here is Judd Apatow, the writer, director, producer of the movie. Hello. How are you? I'm well. How are you, sir? Look at that hair. Beard. Oh, my God. Look at you. Yeah, yeah. Look at you. yeah you let yourself good? go. Oh, I thought I let it go in a beautiful direction there. I, I, if they do Castaway 2, I think you're ready. <laughs> yeah, let, me get, let me get all dressed up for this. Okay, yeah. Hey, you can show some cleavage. I'm all right yeah, with that. Come on, it's good. Uh, I'm taping it, so uh, <laughs> I'm ready if you are. Something's hanging. I got to make sure. Come on, Dan. How's it look? What's this? Let me What's see. This? I don't Okay. I mean, you it? have daughters, your wife. <laughs> Didn't anybody help you today? No one helps me. No one cares how I look, Dan. <sighs> I was wondering about this. Comedian. Have we started? Yeah, Have we yeah, started yeah, then? yeah. We started. Okay, yes. Good. You ready to start? In three, in three, two. Uh, writer, producer, director, comedian. If I said you can only have one title. Yes. Which one? I guess writer. I guess it all starts there. I'll, I'll say that. Wait, why not comedian? I, comedian is, is, is close as well. But with comedian, you know, I get comedian. But with writer, it's connected to a bunch of other things. There's a... It's comedian, comedian. Let's switch it. 
How often do you get a neighbor who wants to pitch something to you or try to be funny to you? It's pretty rare because I think it takes some courage to pitch a funny joke or movie idea. And usually when somebody does, it does not go well. I used to do this thing on stage where I would say to the crowd, I will listen to your pitches for movies. And I would bring three people on stage and I, and I would say, pitch me your movie ideas. And they were always insane. <laughs> no one ever had a good one. They were all crazy. But that would, be, that would be a great show. I would love to see you on stage with people doing their pitches. I, I, I think we just made a show. I think, I think we, we did. Just I, a show. I, I think. <laughs> did I just pitch you a show that got greenlit? I think it's as greenlit as that mint sweatsuit you're wearing. It's not right a sweatsuit. It's just a top. <laughs> I don't have pants to go along with it. <laughs> I think this is why comedians hang out with comedians, Judd, because you want to. You don't want to hear other people try to be funny. Yes. Like non-funny people, comedians like to hang out with funny people. Do you, do you think that's, that's fair? I, I think that's true. It's rare that a good comedian wants to hang out with a terrible, unfunny comedian. That's why you see like groups of comedians who hang out together because they so enjoy a good joke that if someone's really not good at hanging and being funny, they really uh, exclude them. It's brutal. Sandler is really good at that. It's kind of... Um, a generous laugh. Like, I, I don't know if it's real, but when he hangs with us, he's really good at just sort of fake laughter. Uh, I would say this. He must find you funny. He, he wants you around. I think that's real laughter. I think that's due to sports, Judd, not comedy. Oh, you think he, he, like, he tolerates you trying to be funny yeah. to have fun sports yeah. talk with you? Yeah. This is possible. This, this, you may have, uh, you may have figured something out right there. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. All right. How long does it take before you have the idea of this mm -hmm. movie, The King of Staten Island, before you actually start writing a script? Well, Pete Davidson and I met when we were doing Trainwreck. He did a cameo. And after his cameo, Bill Hader liked him so much, he recommended him to Lauren Michaels and he got Saturday Night Live. This is in 2014, six years ago. Mm. So we've been working on it since then. We worked on a different movie. I gave him a, an idea for a movie to write that turned out to be a terrible idea. And he probably wasted two years on a bad, <laughs> goofy idea. And then we were like, I guess we should think of a better idea. And then slowly we started talking about doing something much more personal that came from his life. Yeah, because it's not loosely based on his life. It's based on his life from what I've read about Pete. Well, you know, Pete, uh, his father was a firefighter who died on 9-11. And that was very traumatic. He was seven years old when that happened. And we talked about creating a fictional story that could get to all the real emotions and, and how it affected his family. So, you know, in the movie, he plays a slacker pothead who's going nowhere in life. And in real life, you know, Pete's a guy who was on Saturday Night Live by the time he was 20. So there are big differences, but within the story, you get to a lot of deep emotional stuff. Yeah, and you get that uh, dead father joke out of the way early in the uh, yes, yes. in the movie. But was that by design? Like, let's let's take it out of the room here. I think that it, it happened instinctually. Ricky Velez, who's a great comedian, who uh, is a friend of Pete's, uh, was in a scene early in the in the movie. And we knew we wanted to show that his friends think it's okay to joke about the fact that his dad is dead. Uh, because 
obviously Pete's character is lying. He isn't over it, but he tells them he's over it. And then Ricky improvised, you know, knock, knock, who's there? Not your dad. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think he only had the courage to <laughs> improvise that joke because he's one of Pete's best friends. And he knew that that is the kind of joke that they would tell with each other because only your closest friends would go that dark. The movie is uh, The King of Staten Island. We're talking to Judd Apatow, the uh, producer, writer, director, comedian who uh, joins us on the program. I, all, I, I found it interesting, the reaction to Bill Burr, who plays Marissa Tomei. Marissa Tomei is Pete Davidson's mom, and Bill Burr is a firefighter who starts dating her. And then people's reaction was, God, Bill Burr's good at being serious. And I said, well, if you think about the premise of stand-up comedy, it is really based on drama in a comedian's life and darkness. You ju they just have the ability, comedians have the ability to make it funny so why wouldn't, you know, Sandler in uh, Uncut Gems, people are like, oh, I didn't know he could be uh, Robin Williams the same way. That ability yeah. to we they deal with drama. They just make their drama funny for us. I thought Burr was really, really, really good. Uh, yes, he is a great actor and a big hearted guy. So, you know, someone like that who's opinionated and has that bluster. And then when you slowly see his heart and you see how much he cares about Pete, it's very moving. And we were all blown away by his performance. And at the same time, you know, we love his stand up. He's like a fierce, ridiculously legendary comedian. What's the movie you wish people ask you more about? I'm always about, uh, Walk Hard. I love Walk Hard. John C. Riley. Uh, it was a parody of Walk the Line and Ray and music biopics. And what's funny is after the movie about Queen came out, there were a lot of articles about Walk Hard <laughs> that basically said this movie is doing all the tropes that were in Walk Hard. And suddenly there were all these articles like, wait a second, I think Walk Hard might be great. It's, it's such a silly movie. It's it really makes me laugh. It's just I don't do that many movies that are just like airplane type joke fests and every time it's on it's the only one of the movies i've worked on that i will watch a lot of it because uh, there's a lot of little jokes that that make me laugh a lot and then there's people like eddie vetter and jack white and jackson brown and ghostface Hilla <laughs> in it and i love movies with a lot of cameos like that but when do you know you have something special how deep into the process sometimes when you're shooting you feel like i think it's happening i feel i feel like this is coming together but when you really know is I asked the editors every day to send me the cuts of what they edited that day. So while I'm shooting, I get links to the scenes from earlier in the week. And usually you could just tell if there's chemistry between all of the actors and actresses. And if and sometimes some of the scenes are great and you're like, oh, my God, I think, you know, Carell getting his chest wax is really funny because <laughs> you don't know until you cut it together. It might be crazy funny and you get very excited. Is that improv in any way when Carell gets uh, waxed in 40 year virgin? I mean, it's all improvised. We put four cameras on him and we just waxed him. And the funny thing is we, we looked for an actress who also was a professional hair waxer. So we hired this woman to do it. And I think she lied and was not a professional hair waxer because <laughs> she put some of the wax over his nipple. And I think she came like that close to tearing off his nipple. I mean, he was covered in blood by the <laughs> <laughs> But you had all of those comedians with cameos, like, like bringing all of those people together and making them shine. 
has to, I don't know the challenge of doing that. You know, it's less challenging when they're great. There's always people that you love who haven't had giant opportunities yet. You know, at that time, you know, we knew Jane Lynch uh, from Best in Show. And we thought, well, she's as funny as human beings get. And Craig Robinson just started on The Office. Only, I think, maybe six episodes had aired at that point. Mindy Kaling was on The Office as well. And, uh, you know, Kevin Hart did a, a small part in The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Romney Malko was a big... Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill has a little part. So we just pick people that crack us up and that we love, and then we hope they have a great moment and... In that movie, weirdly, so many of them really grabbed the, their moment. But can you write around, and I don't know the process, so if, if I sound ignorant, then correct me, but can you write around four or five really great moments? Like Bridesmaids, when you have Maya out there with her wedding dress and she's you know has to use the bathroom. Like can, you, can you write around that and then you find another scene that you write around, like three or four of those, and you can make a movie out of that? Or is that maybe stripping this down too much? I like to look at it like I'm trying to make a great dramatic movie. And if I if I can get the drama to work, then I can find a way to make it funny. I think if you start with the funny stuff, it's usually bad. And okay. you can feel the story and the emotions just jammed in later. We've all seen those movies where people are just going nuts and there's not much of a story. And I think those are much harder to get to work than if you're really emotionally invested in something. Favorite comedy that you watched growing I, up? Well, when I was growing up, I loved The Jerk as a, as a kid. But you that idolized Steve movie. Martin, right? Yes. I mean, I talked like him for years <laughs> as a child, and The Jerk was like my dream because I was a big fan of his. And then suddenly they're like, oh, he's going to make a movie. And then to me, The Jerk was my dream of what that movie could possibly be. So that was a big uh, movie for me when I was a kid. And then I think as a kid, Fast Times at Ridgemont High was very inspirational because it was both really funny but had a lot of grounded uh, elements in it there's a lot of credibility to it as well yeah you're trying to and it's weird how those things kind of form what you think uh, humor is because when i was growing up i always thought well bill murray is funny and so i gravitated towards that sense of humor and then robin williams came along and i went no he's too over the top he's got to be like bill murray and I don't yes. know if, if you approach things in a, well, Steve Martin was a cerebral way of looking at comedy. Well, there were people I thought were funny that I thought, I don't know how to be funny like that. So I would see people like Paul Reiser and Jerry Seinfeld and Jay Leno and think, I guess I'm kind of like those guys. I'm from Long Island. <laughs> I, I could relate. And then there were people I really worshipped, you know, like all the Monty Python people and, and Steve Martin or, John Belushi and I would think, well, they're great, but I don't think I'm funny in the way that they're funny. I'm, I'm different. I, I couldn't pull that off. You always do cameos, or at least there's always small cameos there. Um, is this your Alfred Hitchcock uh, <laughs> approach where you're going to be in there and we have to spot you, a cab driver or whatever it might be? I haven't done that. You know, I was in The Disaster Artist. Uh, they asked me to play uh, like a like a nasty producer who yelled at James Franco in the movie. Uh, and I was like, okay, I could do that. Like jerk Hollywood producer. And I did the scene and then I saw the movie and in the credits, it said Judd Apatow as himself. (laughs) (laughs) When you were first pitched LeBron, 
Mm-hmm. What was your reaction to how do I make this work? How do I make him look good? When we were for train working on, on the draft, you know, Amy, uh, you know, was writing Bill Hader as a sports medicine doctor. And then the idea came up. What if his best friend is a gigantic star athlete and immediately LeBron's name came up with no thought that that was possible. Usually you start with LeBron and then you just keep, you know, going down and down. You go to like 80 people to get to whatever you can get. Bill said he just did SNL and I think he had a really good time. Let's ask him. And we went to a Laker game, Bill and I, and then we said hi to him afterwards. And the next day we went to lunch with him. And I always remember how exhausted he seemed after the game it's the next day and i thought wow they really leave it all on the floor and then his teammates kept walking up and saying hello at the restaurant in the hotel and they all seemed exhausted and uh and i thought man it's a it's a hard job you know they're they're recovering right now and then we told him the joke like you're the bruno kirby and when harry met sally and he just thought that was hysterical, that he's the best friend. And the joke is that he cares, that he's really tracking the relationship <laughs> and really cares. And he was hysterical. I mean, he's a very talented actor and he has got a great sense of humor. That wasn't like me spoon feeding anything. That was genuinely him being riotously funny. The movie is The King of Staten Island, starring Pete Davidson. It will be available on demand. By the way, Marissa Tomei, spectacular. Nice casting okay. there. Always, always great. You can't go wrong there. No, you, you cannot. Hire her, and then people think you're a good director, but you're not. It's just her. <laughs> Friday, June 12th, it will be available. It's uh, The King of Staten Island. Uh, good luck with the movie, Judd. It's always great to talk to you. And I just want to let you know that I do see other directors and producers behind Sandler's back. So yes. I don't need to be tied to the Sandler franchise. I'm just saying. I mean, this isn't out. an offer. This is just an announcement. That's all this is, John. That's just You're an announcement. like one of those stars, you know, when like, you know, Paramount would lend out the star <laughs> to MGM out of their contract. I'm going to have to talk to Sandler and borrow you. Well, I did ask Sandler, when I die, do you think at the Academy Awards I get up there on the in memoriam? I think you're an actor. You should be in Well, I'm, I'm, I'm in 18 movies so far. Like, what is the cutoff point for in memoriam? I think eight. James Dean was eight. in three, Judd. That's it. I think you should tell them now. I expect it <laughs> and make it clear. <laughs> I'm going to send them a good picture of me right now just so they can use that. Uh, hey, uh, I love the movie. I thought it was thank wonderful. You. A lot of laugh out loud moments. And uh, thank you. And Maude did great. Yes. Your daughter uh, did great. Proud. Yes. Yeah, should be. Thank you, Judd. All right. Take care. See you, Dad. That's Judd Apatow. It's the king of Staten Island. My wife's all excited to watch this because she's from Staten Island, grew up on Staten Island, born in Brooklyn, but uh, grew up on Staten Island. So she's like, she thinks it's going to be this showcase of Staten Island. And uh, I got a chance to watch the movie. And uh, so I said, you know, it comes out on Friday. And uh, if you want to get it on demand and she goes, I'm going to, I'm going, she hasn't gotten through the Sandler movie, uncut gems. She had to take a break because she said, I was holding my breath because it's so intense. She stopped halfway through it. Yeah, Paul. I, I know two people who watched Uncut Gems, the Sandler movie. One of them said, it's awesome. I didn't know. I did not see that coming. The other person said the same thing. It's too anxiety. It, it exacerbates my anxiety. And, and it was uncomfortable to watch, but not in a bad way, more like in a, an intense experience way. You're exhausted. 
And you don't realize that you're holding your breath with Sandler and what he's doing in this role. But uh, Pete Davidson, Marissa Tomei, as soon as I saw her, like I had a smile on my face. Because you think of my cousin Vinny, like Marissa Tomei, and she won an Academy Award for that role, I believe. My cousin Vinny. I don't know if it was Best Supporting Actress, but uh, she was wonderful. She's great in this movie. And Bill Burr is, too. Bill Burr is really good. Take a break. Uh, last call for phone calls. What we learn, what's in store for uh, Monday. All of that coming up here. Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. The Traeger Father's Day sale is uh, going on June 12th through the 21st. So get $100 off select wood-fired grills during Traeger's biggest sale of the year. Contact your local dealer or visit TraegerGrills.com slash DP Show. Kelvin in California joins us. Hey, Kelvin, what do you have for me today? Mr. Dan Patrick. Dan, I'm a first-time caller. Love your show. Listen every day. Thank you, Kelvin. Hey, Hey, been a Redskin fan since I was five. I'm now 60. Thank you for having Doug Williams on. He's a class, class act of a man. Hey, I've enjoyed a good relationship with him for a long time. And uh, I thought he would be interesting for people to hear. You might remember the name. You might have saw, seen him in the Super Bowl, uh, maybe as a Grambling head coach or uh, back in the day when he was a quarterback. But uh, he certainly has his story to tell. And now they're going to make a movie. He's written a book. Uh, called Quarter Black, and uh, quite a journey for him. But uh, thank you, Kelvin. 877-3DP-SHOW, email address, dp at danpatrick.com. John in New Zealand is back. Uh, Hi, John. Good day, Dan. Dan, shout out to the guys at the back, Alan and Mario and all the guys. Uh, Dan, just some good news and then a query. Uh, So New Zealand, the last few days, has been declared COVID-19 free. Oh. Rugby, rugby is back this weekend and with fans, and we've been starved. We had no rugby for, you know, for months and months, so that it's going to be pretty packed. And I wondered if you watched the Bundesliga, then what chance you might do a little drive-by, Aotearoa, which is the Maori word for New Zealand, super rugby. I was watching rugby this morning. I don't know what I was watching, but uh, I was watching rugby. And, uh, yeah, I've been watching the Bundesliga. Did you see, was it La Liga that put in digital fans? It looked like a video game. I don't need that. Now, I do, I don't know if it's true or not. I have to get confirmation on it. I think we're going to see some pretty interesting special effects with the NBA when it comes back in how things are presented. I I, I can't, I, I'm getting over my skis a little bit here, but I'm told that they're going to dress this up and it's not going to be, it's not going to look like a summer league game. That they're going to do some things to make it more presentable and a little flashier. But I don't know exactly what that means. That's what happens when you have somebody who knows and then they sort of tell you. And then when I press them, like, wait, well, wait, what do you mean by that? I can't tell you. Well, they don't tell me the other stuff. Because then I want to know. All right. Don't mean to yell here. Uh, This day in sports history, Paul. Got a bunch of them. The Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum was dedicated in Cooperstown, New York, 1939. 
1981, the Major League Baseball player strike began. It was a 49-day strike. It was free agency composition, compensation. Uh, 1991, the Chicago Bulls won their first NBA title, beating the Lakers four games to one. 1994, Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman were murdered outside her home in Los Angeles. O.J. Simpson was later acquitted of the killings, but found uh, guilty in a civil suit. 97, interleague play began in baseball, ending a 126-year tradition separating the major leagues. And in 2000, Dan, Steve Young of the Niners retired from the NFL. Hmm. Well, you can turn off your microphone. No, I was putting a bow on it. I oh, nailed, that's the I bow nailed that you one. put on? Uh, Mark Stein of the New York Times uh, tweeted this out. August 30th, first day family and friends would be allowed onto the NBA campus. NBA teams have been notified that they will be allowed to play three scrimmages at Walt Disney World between July 9th through the 29th before the scheduled resumption of the season, July 30th. Um, yeah, you still got 40 or 50 players reportedly who aren't quite sure if they're uh, willing to do this. Well, it sounded like, felt like the NBA was all buttoned up. Todd, what did you learn on today's award-winning program? With 28 NFL teams at the time, Doug Williams was the 54th highest-paid QB while playing for the Bucks, making less than his own backup. Yeah, that's embarrassing. Uh, McLovin. Chris Russo's first concert was at Laggins and Messina, Iota College, 1971. <laughs> <laughs> Seton, what did you learn yeah, today? Christopher Mad Doug Russo, big concert guy. <laughs> How are you today? Uh, How you doing, that, buddy? Good boy, Danny. Chris Russo can call you Danny better than anybody else. I think Chris and my mom are the only ones that ever called me Danny. What we learned brought to you by LegalZoom. LegalZoom has made it easy to set up the right estate plan without leaving your home. Take care of your family today. The right estate plan at LegalZoom.com. Thanks for joining us. Thanks again to all of our sponsors who have stayed with us throughout this pandemic. Have a great weekend. Safe weekend. We'll do it again on Monday. Dan Patrick Show.